Police in Las Vegas found themselves in the middle of a UFO mystery last month after an... Big eyes, they have big eyes. Welcome to another excellent episode of the Mythical Legends podcast. So, we have another um, amazing episode lined up. One of um, one of my best friends in America is going to be with us today um, and, to, and talking about some amazing stuff. So, before we get into our guest, um, our co-host is going to be Chris Alsford, um, co-founder of the UK BRT, uh, UK Bigfoot Research Team, um, and short and shortly to be a partner in some other interesting stuff coming coming in beginning of January. Um, so we have some brilliant stuff coming in next year. Um, so I'm going to add our co-host on, and let's have a chat to him. Hey, mate, how are you? Not bad, buddy. How are you? I'm very, very well. Bit a bit tired from Christmas shopping all day today. <laughs> I'll let Amazon carry the can, I did. <laughs> um, so we have a very, very good guest today, don't yeah. we? Joe. Yeah. 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 So he he's um he he's an amazing guest and uh, a a very, very good friend of mine. So um, if we say a little bit about this guest, so. He's um, a US um, USAF veteran, na- a naturalist, and a field investigator. Um, Joe Perdue. I'm bringing I'm bringing on, and we're gonna have an amazing conversation. Hey, mate. What's going on, everybody? <laughs> How are you, mate? God, <clears throat> uh, doing great, doing great. How are you guys? We yeah, are very, very things. well. It's a bit cold here in the UK, Joe. Um, say I'm in a very, very nice warm room, but very, very cold outside. We've uh, we're about 60 degrees Fahrenheit here today. Yesterday we were in the 30s, and then tomorrow we've got snow coming. So nice. we've got a reprieve oh, wow. with with some nice 60 degree weather today, and then tomorrow we've got snow on the horizon. <laughs> uh, so. Do you guys see snow often in the winter? Oh yeah, yeah. It's we our ground is covered with snow more often than it's not from uh, about the middle of December till about February, um, wow. and then we'll warm up a little bit. We have like a false spring, and then in March it's just gonna get freezing cold again. We'll be down in the teens a few weeks, and then it'll start warming back up gradually. Oh, um. Amazing, mate. Say so here, here in the UK, and Chris, you can kind of back, back me up on this. There's no snow; it's just bloody free. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's it, some snow up in the mountains. Some, not much. Yeah, yeah. Say, so, um, say, so let's jump straight, 
straight into it then, Joe. Could you tell me a little bit ha- about how you got interested into the cryptid world? Uh, well, you know, I, I grew up um, just like everybody who is my age and older, watching the television programs like uh, Sightings and the um, Unsolved Mysteries and the the TV show with Leonard Nimoy, uh, In Search of. And, you know, seeing all of that stuff and I watched it with my grandmother and she really instilled this uh, interest in me and, you know, growing up out in the forest where everything seemed to be mystical and a mystery because we're where I live is just really tight foothills and mountains all around us. Uh, It's very little flat land here in our state. And so it's, it's very easy to see where there could be a mystical world or some kind of fantastical uh existence of things out there when you're young because there's it's the wilderness here is so vast Mm, yeah and and whereabouts you based mate uh we are in west virginia is is where we do most of our research with the west virginia high strangeness collective um i own a business called wild and weird west virginia and that kind of funds and puts all of the gasoline into what we do on the research end of things so that way it's it's less of a blow up front on us financially so we we manufacture things like these little guys and we sell those little trinkets on the road at different shows and online and that helps fund what we do um amazing mate and i think both me and chris need a little bit of luck with money because at the moment we have none (laughs) hey it's it it all starts that way man and the thing is you don't need a whole lot when you just get started into this and you really don't need a lot in the the deep thick of it either you know some of this hardware and some of this equipment is a nicety but it's not a necessity the biggest things that you have at your disposal are your eyes your ears and a pen yeah yeah say say I will say that me, in my brain, my brain tells me, you need this equipment, and if you don't, then then it's just the end of the world. And I think when you get into the, this world, you kind of go that way first. But then now, you don't need a whole lot. It's like, no. I, I went from carrying about 15 bags for my first expedition to now just the one big hiking bag and i don't have an awful lot in it i have my normal cameras and plaster of paris and that's pretty much it um because you don't need a lot just to go out looking in the forest do you no you don't it's uh the the biggest thing that that you might have to spend money on when you first start out is like a waterproof notepad so that way you can write in the rain and your notes won't get destroyed. That's one of the um, one of the things I usually recommend to people is get a, a decent waterproof notepad and just, just a little flip pad. It uh, costs around um, nor- here in the U.S. about $12.99 U.S. dollars. And it's, uh, you know, you, you get a, a fairly good little notepad. Oh, amazing, mate. I am actually going to write that down myself because that sounds like a very, very good... Do you get that from uh, from Amazon? Yeah, you can find them on Amazon, or if you have a uh, you know an outfitter near you that does outdoor equipment, 
for hiking or backpacking, you'll you'll probably find it there, like a sporting school um, place. Um, amazing, mate. And to everyone out there that is kind of listening in, I would say that is probably the most amazing advice you would be given is a notepad and a pen. Now, when I first went forest, I didn't listen to that because I I I believe you needed about fifteen to twenty to 20 different bags and I within uh, probably two months uh, my partner in crime has said no we're taking this much because I'm not carrying anything else <laughs> yeah hey um, uh, give me one second I'm gonna have to cut for a moment and send my so Joe could you tell us a little a little bit about your own podcast called wild and weird radio uh, yeah, we've been on the show now for about uh, going on four years, and it'll be four years next month, I think, or the month after that. But it's uh, it's a broad scoping show. We cover everything from UFOs, paranormal, Bigfoot, other cryptids, um, sighting reports, interviews, you name it, we do it. Oh, wow, mate. Um, so, say, do you do your own podcast where it's just your voice? As in, uh, as in just you? Uh, no, not just me. It's always with my uh, co-host, Ron Lanham. Um, and occasionally we've got a third seat sitting with us. Um, normally we, we try to keep someone in the third seat, but it just depends on their schedule and things like that. But me and Ron are always there. And we've got, oh, nice. so it's just an audio podcast. Uh, you can find us anywhere where podcasts are found, or you can go over to YouTube and just look up Wild and Weird WV, and it'll bring you to our channel. And that will show you our podcast as well as other investigation videos. Oh, amazing. And that brings me on to kind of a different kind of question. When you mentioned the word para- paranormal, what does that mean to you? Um, anything that's uh, not normal. <laughs> it could be um, strange lights in the forest. It can be lights in your house. Um, it could be ghosts, spooks, anything that you know you would call the Ghostbusters for if you needed to. <laughs> but um, you know, it's uh, it, basically it's anything that doesn't readily make sense. Any kind of strange and unusual phenomena. Um, so if you, for example, you know, there have been people who have been out, um, at their house and they'll lose something and that item will be missing for months. And then they'll just be walking through their house and they'll hear it fall on the floor and they'll turn around and find something in the middle of the floor behind them. And that's the thing they've been looking for for months. Um, so that's a phenomena that's called a porting. And that's that's something that we would investigate. We would go check for uh, strange radiation readings, look for any kind of weird EMF, you know, just anything that was outside of normal parameters. Oh, cool. So, say a lot of people associate the word par- paranormal with ghosts and your spirits and kind and kind of that side of stuff. Yeah. And actually, it's not it's anything that is kind of not not normal right. as you say yeah and you know a lot of that's attributed to uh television you know uh you, you have paranormal tv and it's all your ghost ghost hunters you know mm. 
ghost hunters, yeah. psychics, things like that. That's what you're going to see on Travel Channel and Discovery Channel under the paranormal listing. What is your opinion on these TV programs? Well. How much do you reckon is legit? A very, very small percentage. Very small percentage. <laughs> if you want to see what it's really like when you go out doing any kind of uh, paranormal research, for example, um, you can go look up small town monsters and look at their Sasquatch unearthed and go to the latest episode. Um, we're in that one. We take the team out bigfooting and we basically just sit in the dark for hours because nothing happens <laughs> that's 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 re what real bigfoot or paranormal tv would be like and that's just not entertaining you know nobody wants to sit and watch me just sit and twiddle my thumbs and stare off into the dark <laughs> so yeah and it it's like with a lot of the programs bigfoot wise that i've watched they found a bigfoot every episode yeah yeah it's incredible yeah it's uh, it's something else man um you know there there's a lot of areas that uh that do have activity you know and i don't recommend doing the tactics that you see on tv simply because you can you can ruin a research area really fast if you're out there just beating on trees and howling into the night but if you are in an area that you're just doing a quick and dirty investigation in, yeah, give it a shot. But I don't recommend, um, I don't recommend it. <laughs> so uh, it wouldn't be also the wisest idea is if, if you went in banging and clashing and this creature got annoyed, it's yeah. still eight feet tall and yeah, right. <laughs> people have got to remember that, that well, it's still eight feet know, tall one of the main reasons that we don't do it is we don't know what it means Yeah, we don't know what we're doing and what it will cause you know um, we don't know what the wood knock sound is we don't even know if it's really truly a wood knock and not some kind of um, mouth noise that's being made but we definitely don't know what the howls mean you know yeah. we we don't know what these strange calls are at all uh it, it could be um it could be a, a pretty broad list of things that would wind up getting us ran out of the forest yeah and say if 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 i played a sound out there and someone came out i would curl up and die I would. <laughs> I honest. I honestly would. I honestly would, and that's the hundred percent truth. Oh, because, <laughs> because if an eight feet tall um, something stood in front of me and repeated that sound at me, yeah, I wouldn't like it very much. <laughs> you you got to be ready for whatever's going to come at you when you start knocking on the door. Yeah. And that goes for Bigfoot. It goes for uh, ghost hunting. It goes for going out and looking for UFOs. Mm, yeah. yeah. And it, it's like when 
we we have played a sound once, um, and when we played that sound, I and it sounded crazy, Joe. I I mean, I said to uh, Jill, the part the partner women, I turned to her and went, "This creature may come out in front of in front of us, and if it does, I'm faster than you, so I'm gonna run, and then I'll let." <laughs> <laughs> Um, and and it's like you do have to kind of be prepared for this creature to come out if you're yeah. playing sounds that it it might be aggressive towards, and that's why it's not yeah. the best thing to do. That's that's exactly right. Yeah. So um, right. So I'll move on to my next kind of. Um, question now i don't know much about this um so to my understanding you are co-founder of the west virginia high strangeness collective mouthful yeah. there could you tell us a little ballot mate um we were founded in 2018 um it was a group of researchers with uh of various backgrounds i was the bigfoot guy Ron was the UFO and paranormal like ghost hunter guy. Then we had another guy named Dave who was also a ghost hunter, but he was into um, not uh, he, he studies the universe. He's um, uh, he, he's got like a $8,000 telescope that sits on his back porch and he takes these high resolution photographs of other galaxies so he's he's real big into that kind of stuff um we have uh another individual named beth who who's more into the bigfoot stuff as well and she's out in the field um it, it was a collective group right you know we all have our own various disciplines we could field bigfoot we could field hauntings we could do ufo sightings and investigations on all of that stuff so we called ourselves the high strangers collective because none of those things are normal it falls under the realm of uh, high strangeness because Bigfoot shouldn't be there theoretically UFOs we shouldn't be having those things show up hauntings are very strange when you have any of these happening in correlation with one another then it gets really bizarre and really strange so that's high strangeness so we cover it all we look at all these reports regardless of how outlandish they might seem if we can vet the witness and vet their credibility we're going to go take a look and we're going to investigate. And the reason we called it a collective is because we shared data with researchers, well, from the UK and from uh, all other parts of the world in the United States. We we shared data with Cliff Berrickman, Matt Moneymaker, all those big names, you, you know, from the Bigfoot TV world. Uh, same thing with all the big names, you know, from the UFO world. We're connected with those guys as well. And we share data back and forth with them. Wow. Say so on that note, Joe, I have been in contact with Cliff Brantman, so I'll say thank you so much for that. Pause. <laughs> um, on track. Um, so, Joe, could you um, could you tell us, do you go out and do your own research in in the field by yourself, or yeah. uh, do you really? Yeah, I'm I'm actually out by myself more often than I'm with another person. Uh, sometimes my wife will be with me, but, uh, you know, normally it's, it's just me getting out, going out into the woods because to try to line everybody's schedules up to be able to go, you have to coordinate that out. 
and the way my life is, I don't always have the opportunity to uh, just say, oh, well, I'm going to go out on this day at this time because I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, it, it's, oh, I have a moment. I've got a few hours. I'm, I'm getting out there. I'm going to go and uh, go around the forest and do a few miles and check things out and go out to uh, one of the areas we've had activity in and see if there's anything I can find. Oh, amazing, mate. And and if I answer this question, is it better when you are by yourself or with one other person? Do you find you get a lot more done? Uh, for me, okay. So for me personally, I get a lot more done when I'm by myself because I'm not answering questions. Um, I'm, I'm just 100% focused in go mode. You know, I don't have mm. to stop and slow down to let somebody else catch their breath. I don't have to, I can just go. Um, and it's not always the best, but, uh, it's nice when I do have someone there to help corroborate what we did find. If we found anything, you know, many of the times mm. that I've casted footprints, I've been the only one out there in the forest and wow. of, of probably the 12 casts or so that we take on our table when we go out and can, uh, and do these appearances and such those those uh those casts i've found 90 percent of them by myself there was only one on the table that i cast with somebody else there other than a bear print there was somebody there with me when uh, ron was with me when we cast a big bear print but um with the other tracks you know there's there's only one other one that was with my wife wow so oh amazing mate so Chris, you have a question for Joe? Yeah, just where you said about um, off in the forest on your own. I'm wondering how you feel about the gifting thing. People, do you take um, part in that, or do you have any success with it? I've uh, I've only had a negative reaction with the the gifting. Well, kind of, sort of negative. The um, we own a farm, and we were out there a few years back, and our family goes out there all the time. And usually there's always leftover scrap food thrown out. And I'm a classically trained chef. I, I usually don't have leftovers when I cook because I cook to the portion for how many people we have. So I'll only have a very small amount of leftovers and those normally get picked off later in the afternoon uh, or in the evening. So there wasn't any food being thrown out. And these things did not like that. So we had some very strange activity going. We ought to heard the uh, samurai chatter. We had um, Ron actually had his sighting that night. Uh, that was that was his first real encounter was that night. He had had a sighting. Um, it, it was a really intense night. Um, and then uh, the other experience that I had with it was a little bit more neutral. There was a, uh, a stump that I was always walking by. And I would always put like an apple or something on it. If I like whatever, if I'd been eating an apple or something, took a two few bites of it, didn't really, you know, I always, if I, if I left an apple or food, I'd always take a bite out of it and leave it. I didn't just leave a plain straight apple. Um, but I came back and in that exact location shoved down into the stump was a, uh, a, a pristine turkey feather. Ah. And it was shoved down into the stump, like pointing up. Yeah, wow. That's, so uh, that's impressive. Right? Yeah, that was yeah. that was the uh, that was the new uh, what I call the neutral uh, 
take where I've where I've had that happen. So. Wow. Amazing, mate. And I will go straight on to then. Could you tell us about your Bigfoot encounters and experiences? Um, yeah. So over the years, we've had several encounters with you know hearing things or having strange things happen. But in 2001, what really got me started on this whole scope of looking into what is actually out there because I wanted answers for my own sighting was uh, it was in September of 2001 and I was on family land. We were out there where I lived and I'd, I'd always hunted this area. And so I went to it and I'm, t- I'm trying to tell you the Campbell's condensed version because there's, there's a lot of details, a lot of information. And the reason I remember all these details is because I wrote it all down. Um, as soon as I got back to the house, I wrote everything down. So, um, anyway, whenever I got to the ridge top, I started walking down because I rode a four wheeler up and then walked in and I walked into my spot, which was a, uh, a really broad, uh, laurel or rhododendron thicket. And I used it as a natural hunting blind because the adjacent ridge or the adjacent hillside had been timbered. And there weren't any large mature trees. It was all just small undergrowth and berries, things like that. Things that make good food. Well, when I was going into it, I thought that I saw a black bear. And I was like, oh, this is cool. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to just sit in the thicket and I'm going to watch this black bear root around and eat. And then I'll go back home. Well, when I got situated, I realized really quick that it wasn't a black bear. It was a small Bigfoot creature. The reason I call it a Bigfoot is because it's the best description i can have for it you know it fits all the the uh sightings that that we've been reported and all the stuff you see on tv and such and this thing was playing it was uh like doing these little terrible cartwheels you know like what you'd see with a toddler where this thing would go down and put its hands on the ground but its feet would never really get more than horizontal its feet weren't going up and doing the big cartwheel it was just like going hands and then the feet and then would spin and was was that behaving like a kid and then I, I saw some subtle movement up to the right and I saw two other large creatures and they were sitting down, haunched down on the, the uh, one of the steps and they were digging at the ground and one was digging at a fallen tree. Um, it, what looking back now, you know, using all the, the master naturalist training and all the wildlife study that I've done, the big one was ripping at an old rotted tree that was left by the timber company because it was probably a deadfall when the timber company came in and they left it behind. So it's now infested with termites and other insects. It's been rotted. It's got worms and grubs and all these other protein sources in it. And then the female was over there digging in an area that I had planted turnips and carrots uh, because deer like those things. And um, I just I try to have an area where the food was hospitable and I could get in easily hunt, take a deer to eat and then go home. You know, uh, this thing was digging up my plot <laughs> <laughs> and had, uh, you know, made short work of it, apparently. But um, this sighting was very brief. It didn't last a long time. There was just a lot of data that was able to be collected because I wrote everything down and I can't stress that enough write everything down as soon as you possibly can because our memory is malleable our memory every time we bring something back to recollection we're remembering the memory of the memory 
not the actual memory of itself. So we can insert our own details. We can uh, take pieces of reality and pieces of data that we've already, that we've now learned, and we can mesh those together. And that's not always the best. You want the pure data as quick as you can get it. So um, basically the wind had shifted. I felt the wind hit my neck and I was like, oh man, I'm going to be made now. And the biggest one stood up and it raised its head. I only saw like a, um, like this much of its face, you know, because it, it had its back to me and it turned its head like that. And that's when I saw that part of its face. And I'm assuming based off what I know now that this thing made in a sound that I could not hear and it, uh, the, the little one and the other medium sized one went closer to it and then they walked off into the forest and they they just walked out of sight i waited until they were gone and that i couldn't see or hear anything anymore and then i turned around and i went straight back to the four-wheeler and back home i did not go back to that area for a year i didn't hunt that year i didn't go back out and i waited until the following year when snow was on the ground and all the leaves were off the trees so that way i could see anything that was contrasting to the snow and I would also be able to see anything that was moving very easily because it, it freaked me out. I was really unnerved by the whole thing. Um, and then that was my first sighting. That was, then I had my second, what I call a confirmed sighting, uh, just about a month ago. And I used my, um, text to, or talk to text app to record all of the data because I'm a chef and I had, I was out of a, a wedding catering when this happened. We were leaving. This was an outdoor wedding. Um, it had a DJ, it had the food, obviously. It had lots of uh, lights. So there was sound, lights, and, and scent. And all kinds of attractant that you would need for some kind of a, a wild creature, right? When I was leaving, I saw something that I was like, oh, that's a weird place for a topiary. Because there were some topiaries around the, uh, the cabin area. Um, where the wedding venue was. And I was like, that's a weird place for a topiary. I wonder why that's there. And then my headlights hit it and it was a blonde collared, blonde hair collared uh, creature. And it was about six to six foot six. So six foot six, six and a half foot tall. Um, and when my headlights hit it, that is when it took a sidestep and turn. Like I saw a full, full, full body of this thing. And it turned to the side and stepped and started walking into the brush. The brush was about uh, up to mid thigh and it moved through it like a tank. Um, and this was thick, dense briars and brush. You know, if I'd have moved through it, it would have cut my jeans up. But this thing just went through it like a tank. And um, then, you know, we're looking at. Hold on. <laughs> so I saw a really good profile of the body. This thing was in thigh, thigh deep brush. It moved through it like a tank. I had a caravan of people behind me. These were all people that were on my payroll. <laughs> They're being paid by the hour very well. And I know at minimum, it's going to cost me a lot of money at a lot of time because it's going to take me at least two to three hours to do a proper investigation on this area. And I'm by myself 
well, I'm not by myself. I have a whole bunch of employees. <laughs> I wasn't going to be like, all right, guys, you're all Bigfoot researchers now. Um, because I wanted to get them home. I wanted, needed to get them off the clock. The owner of the business was not going to be cool with me going out and doing this. And I was their only hope of getting out of this holler alive because it was a gravel one lane road for like four miles and none of them knew their way out. I was the only one that knew the way. So I was, I had to lead them out. So I did the talk to, uh, yeah, talk to text app and recorded every bit of data that I could. Um, as, and that way it was fresh. It was right then in the moment, the passenger in my truck saw something too, you know, so I wasn't the only one that seen it. It was the past because I had somebody riding with me and, uh, yeah, it was really, really weird, you know, and it's hair was kind of wet because it had been raining. And I saw this, uh, the, the hand, like the, the left hand, I, I saw the left hand clear as day as it was walking away, I'm stepped out of my truck door and I'm looking at it. I've got a lights on it and I saw its hand clear as day. And the fingers was it like a shimmer hand. Yeah. The fingers were thinner than what I'd seen. Like, you know, I've got a, um, a hand track cast right here over my shoulder. That guy. Oh yeah. And the fingers, the fingers in that, like, mind you, that, that creature could have been larger. But the fingers in that had to have done one of these. Because what I saw, the fingers were big. They were long, but they weren't as wide as some of the track casts of hands that I've seen. And the thumb, uh, based off that, the thumb is right where it should have been. So I, I think that's a very authentic track, especially now. Because the thumb, like where our thumb attaches right here. If you could detach this area and move it in a little bit and back. So if we were able to move this joint of our thumb to about an inch to the interior of our wrist and put our thumb there, this thing would have only been able to grip like this. So it, it yes, it has a thumb, but that thumb is not going to be like a prehensile thumb. Like we're picking up a cup. Mm-hmm. You know, this thing's going to be more of a gripping motion like this. Uh, it's, it's a very, very ape like hand, early human hand, uh, relatominid whatever you want to call it so that was very much a, a an ape-like creature but it will, the face looked more human um just like the first ones that i'd seen it, it didn't have this monkey face it, it was a more human-like face and and i tried to uh, i tried to capture that this is a statue that i made years ago and I tried to capture some of those features in this face where it looks more human than than ape. It's got some of the, the ape features. It has some of the ape features, like the bigger, bigger lip area, the the skin, like longer distance between the nose and the upper lip, that kind of thing. But overall, the face was more human. Wow. And say uh, say did you see eyes? Um, not with this one. Like I saw where the eyes would be, but like I didn't see. I, I can't tell you what color it was, you know. Okay. Um, because it was it was too much of a distance to be able to tell. It just looked shadowed because the sun. We were already into about thirty minutes into dusk when mm-hmm. we were. Leaving. So it was uh, the light. The only light that was hitting it was from my truck, and that was casting a lot of shadows. Hmm. 
Yeah, say, say, mate, that reminds me of kind of, kind of when people do say there are different colour Bigfoots. Now, I've brought this up uh, quite a few times on the podcast where where we've said it's like humans. We we all have different colour of hair, or yeah. some of us have different colour hair. Or, or, you know, um, some of us are, you know, yeah. hair hair less uh, less yeah <laughs> um and it's like <laughs> um and it's like we we all have different color skin and it's like it reminds you of what bigfoot has been said to be um in alaska they they've said they've seen like white hairs yeah. you just said that it's kind of a blondie uh, yeah. kind type, type of thing some have said black uh, it, it, it's a really interesting the, the three topic that when i had seen think. the three that i had seen first were all different colors mm. um the wow. the smallest one was black as black could be that's why i thought it was a black bear the two bigger ones were more of an auburny dark dark brown with a little bit of red genome and then the other one was more red uh, than brown, but they were both had that oh. kind of dark auburn kind of uh, mm. red color. Mm. Say, say, that's why also I take a partner out in the field because I'm colorblind and it sucks sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. This thing was green. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, honestly, I, I had a dog probably about. Uh, five years ago now and f- we I've had we had them since I was alive and I thought that dog was green honestly honestly I swear yeah. to god I thought that dog was green and where um, and when he passed away I went oh I missed that green dog and they went no it's brown <laughs> <laughs> okay so my whole life I've thought it's green yeah and it's like i now have two new dogs and i've uh, and when i first looked at i went that's not golden it's it's green and they went it's it's golden daniel it is golden and i go ah okay <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> so it, it it's when it comes to colors out in the field that's something that kind of puts you on a barrier but doesn't put you on too much of a right. barrier which is nice yeah. Um, so um, I'm going to ask you one more question, Joe, and that question is going to be: What is the most important um, piece of advice you would give to someone who is starting to research Bigfoot? Do not get Bigfoot on the brain. When you get Bigfoot on the brain, you go out into the forest and you look at everything, and it's all Bigfoot. You'll see a pile of sticks. Bigfoot did it. You'll see tree breaks that are 12 to 15 feet up in the air. Bigfoot did it. 99.9% of the time, Bigfoot didn't do that. Uh, storm storm damage. You know, you're in a forest. They have the same storms that we have here. If your power went out, odds are the wind was strong enough to knock trees over. Um, we have snow here. And a lot of the times that snow starts off as rain. And then the rain turns to freezing rain and that gets really heavy because that will 
just all the tree branches that are normally at this angle will start to droop and go down and then you pile more snow on top of that and now you've created a a, a weight that is far too much for that branch to bear and it snaps off um be be alert be vigilant write everything down and and be honest that's the biggest thing be honest don't don't try to uh don't try to go out there and um say everything's bigfoot or post up pictures saying that could this be bigfoot if you have to ask could it be bigfoot odds are it's not um if it's something that is truly anomalous and something that really truly shouldn't be there and is out of place it's going to strike you immediately this this isn't normal and then take note of that but take note of all the other stuff you know yeah. take pictures of what natural breaks look like there's organizations like boy scouts that go out and they build primitive shelters in the woods little kids did that not bigfoot <laughs> yeah. but i can't tell you how many of those primitive shelters i see out in the forest around state parks around uh around these wildlife management areas you'll see a lot of that because that's where the boy scouts go if if i find one of those 15 miles deep into the bush i take note of that because normal people aren't doing that that deep mm-hmm. they're not going that deep into an interior of, of a wilderness area to build something like that and leave it mm. if i see that then i'm interested but otherwise so just be honest with yourself, be honest with your data, follow the data and do not let your own biases sway your data. Mm. Some amazing advice there, Joe. And I will say, um, I have taken a lot of that advice. <laughs> Definitely, well, mate. I have. I mean, we, we didn't uh, win Bigfoot Researchers of the Year in 2022 for no reason, you know? I mean, we're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, man! Um, it just it, getting that award really just means that we were the 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 weirdest weirdos in the group of weirdos. <laughs> so it's you know, it's a badge of honor, but at the same time, like you don't go out publicly like, oh yeah, we were the Bigfoot Researchers of the Year, and they're like, oh, you are really odd. <laughs> you're not just the guy with stickers on your truck. You're like, you're you're weird. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Joe mate it's been an absolute pleasure to um, to chat to you um, and I think Chris will ag- agree um, mm-hmm. you yeah. you've been very 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 interested mate this evening so thank you so well, much glad I was able to hop on and, and give you a decent show you are very 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 welcome mate and to all our viewers out there who are watching um, please, please don't forget to subscribe to Joe and Ron's show. Um, I, I guarantee I listened to an episode yesterday and it is amazing. So please, please go and listen. Um, and don't and don't forget to subscribe to the Mythical Legends podcast uh, on Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, uh, and any other podcast app that that you can think of. But until then, guys. Um, keep searching and stay mythical thank you so much guys 
Thank you for listening to the Mythical Legends podcast. For more information, check out our Facebook group. The truth is out there.